Hello and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast. This is Volume 8, Issue 361, Dark Souls 3. You can play along with Cane and Rinse. The next five issues are Wolfenstein 2, The New Colossus, then This War of Mine, followed by Pilot Wings, then we continue our Final Fantasy series with Final Fantasy 9, and last of those five is Pony Island. You can uh, find out dates for those and for uh, the order for all of our upcoming Volume 8 shows at canandrince.com. You can, if you are not already, subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash canandrince for the low, low uh, price of $1, which is roughly 77 pence, 89 euro cents per month. You can get the shows a week earlier uh, and also some bonus episodes in there as well. If you would rather support us but not on Patreon, we have a PayPal button on our website. And it's not just Cane and Rinse that you would be supporting either. Uh, the Cane and Rinse Network, I guess we're unofficially now, with uh, Cane and Rinse podcasts coming out on Mondays, as you know, listening to this. And then Sound of Play, which covers video game music on Wednesdays. Then we have Playwright on Thursdays, where uh, Ryan and Ryan spin out uh, video game ideas like like gold dust absolutely brilliant and lastly of the the current crop of Kane Rinse, uh core podcast the sausage factory uh, last but not least with chris o'regan who uh, on fridays interviews different developers about their games and about what inspires them in general you can subscribe to the podcasts on anywhere you usually find your podcasts it would also be wonderful if you could review and rate our shows there too that obviously helps get the word out about us and and grab people's attention who may not yet have come across the podcast i'm james carter uh joining me in issue 361 that's this one are jacob geller help me <laughs> very good we also have john salmon hello <laughs> Oh, the prep is going into these yes. intros. <laughs> and last but certainly not least, Joshua Garrity. Thank you. Uh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was absolutely excellent. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, in the show notes here, someone has very kindly pointed out that this is the four J's at last. James, Jacob, John, Joshua, all together. Um, we'll try to keep it straight on who's who. I think you've probably worked it out by now. We are talking Dark Souls 3. Uh, it's developed by From Software, who nowadays are pretty much known for the Souls games, but have a long history of other stuff that they've done, including notably Tenchu and Armored Core and, and uh, Kingsfield, all sorts of other stuff. We've covered that on previous uh, previous issues, which I will point you back to in a, in a sec. Publisher for this series is Bandai Namco outside of Japan and From Software self-publish within Japan. Um, directors, there's actually three directors. The main director of Dark Souls 3 is uh, known throughout the series, obviously. Uh, Hidetaka Miyazaki, uh, known for Demon Souls, Dark Souls, and Bloodborne. Alongside two co-directors, which it's notable to point out, I think, in this case. Isamu Okanu, uh, who will be known, perhaps, to people who are familiar with Steel Battalion Heavy Armor. And Notably for um, for Dark Souls series veterans, Yui Tanamura, uh, who was one of the co-directors on Dark Souls 2, is back in as a co-director on this game as well. 
Part of the reason for that is that Bloodborne was a year before this game, and before that, another year was Dark Souls 2. So in quick succession, so lots of overlap in uh, development time for these games. Notably amongst the credits, the composers um, continue. Motoi Sakuraba is, has been the composer throughout the Dark Souls series. Yuka Kitamura has also been involved since Dark Souls 2. Uh, they make the sort of uh, the core pairing, but there's also another couple of composers on this game as well. Tsukasa uh, Saito and Nobuyoshi Sok. Uh, Suzuki, apologies for pronunciation there it's obviously not my uh, wheelhouse um, so, development of this game, uh, there's definite, as I mentioned definite overlap um, this team that developed this was said to be uh, almost entirely different to Bloodborne um, development started in 2013, so there was kind of three year development cycle on this game there were reviews of this game, obviously Round about, all fairly consistent across platforms, around about 88 to 90% scores. Uh, pretty high, uh, pretty, I want to say it's fairly sort of consistent across the series, really. Um, they've all always reviewed relatively well. Certainly Dark Souls 2 and 3 are, are kind of in step with one another. Sales-wise, the, so the, the first month, uh, Dark Souls 3 sold faster and more copies than any other game in the series previously. In the first month it sold 3 million copies. Uh, VG Charts, which is kind of the only place we can go to other than publisher released figures, it lists currently the sales to be a total of uh, about coming up on 6.5 million, uh, more than half of which were on PC, uh, 3.29 million, and then uh, just over 2 million copies on PS4 and 1 million on Xbox One. So our histories. Josh, would you like to kick us off, please? If you've listened to any of the previous uh, issues, um, you'll know that uh, I'm a big fan of From and what they do. Um, but uh, I wasn't hugely excited for Dark Souls 3. Um, so, you know, we were hot off of coming, you know, coming off of Bloodborne. And I think it's fair to say that, you know... Yeah, Everyone has their own opinion, but I think, largely speaking, the the reception to that game was incredibly positive. Mm. And um, Bloodborne's one of my favourites. Um, absolutely, I, I I adore that game. And um, I, and as much as I I, I really like Dark Souls two, um, I realise that it's probably uh, the game that gets the most criticism out of all of From's recent output. Um, but I I still like it a lot. But even I have to acknowledge, like, you know, it's weak in certain areas. And I, you know, looking at their history, it, Demon Souls to Dark Souls, Dark Souls to Bloodborne, that always kind of seemed like the stronger trilogy of games to me. Yeah. And Dark Souls 2 kind of felt like they just kind of had to do it because they were contractually obligated to do it. And everything about dark souls 3 on the run up to release kind of made me feel the same way it was just like ah guys i would i would really rather you kind of view the the souls mechanics as almost like an anthology series rather than like an actual franchise i i prefer when you go from universe to universe to universe taking similar ideas but telling a completely different story mm. than 
trying to continue stories that you've already done. Um, so I was kind of eager for blood for from software to just do something else, and and we're on the cusp as as of recording, just to date this podcast. Yeah. Um, as of recording, we're on the cusp of uh, from software doing exactly that. Um, Sekiro feels like very much a game that takes these mechanics but does something totally different with them with a different setting. So I'm I'm getting my wish. So I'm I'm not complaining. <laughs> But yeah, at the time, uh, I wasn't excited. But then the reviews came out. They were really positive. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, I need to be there day one, like with everyone else. Um, Played through it on the PC. I have not played the DLC. Um, I will say that. I did attempt to get it done before this podcast, but then I realized um, that all my save data was uh, uh, erased from Steam. Yeah. Um, so, um, uh, and uh, I, t- I tell you what, folks, um, having your save data for a game erased really gives you an idea of how much you want to. Uh, how much you really appreciated that game because I had a similar situation with The Witcher 3 and I was like yes I will play that whole game again <laughs> we'll get into um, how I feel about Dark Souls 3 but I uh, in more detail but uh, I was not prepared to do that for this <laughs> game um, so yeah that's where I'm at with it thank you very much and John how about you hmm. uh, my history is fairly similar to Josh I think apart from Demon Souls I'd played, uh, well, I have very extensively played uh, all three of the Dark Souls games and Bloodborne. I think tallying up hours, I think I'm probably close to a thousand hours between the four of them, which, I mean, you probably laugh at that, James, and maybe Jacob as well. Um, But, I mean, that seems like a lot to me. Uh, When you load up a save file and see that you've got, like, 250 hours in a game, that sounds like a lot of time. Um, But I came... I came very hot off the heels of Dark Souls, not hugely long before Dark Souls 2 came out. And that was the one that I had the full zeitgeist experience of playing alongside everybody else and being on Twitter and everyone was talking about things and trying to put everything together. And then the year after that, the Scholar version of that came out. So I played that a lot. And that led right up into the release of Dark Souls 3, which I think at the time because I just spent probably between those three, I mean, you're looking at 500 plus hours on those three games over the previous, I guess, three years, I kind of felt a little bit of Souls fatigue. And like I said, I just finished playing the DLCs in in Scholar just before this came out. And I think Mm. in my memory, I didn't have a huge amount of buzz for it. And I I wasn't hugely hyped up until that period of three or four weeks before the actual European release, when it had come out in Asia and certain people had started playing it already and streamers had already started it and were sharing things. And I remember at that point, somebody pointing out, oh, there's there's, um, copies of the Super Special Edition, whatever it was, the £100 edition, that are still going on some obscure website and they're not that expensive. And I just that the last minute thought I'll go on and I'll do this and I'll play this um and I did and I played through it only once to start off with and normally I'd done both dark dark 2 and then the scholar version I'd done like three four playthroughs all back to back to back within mm-hmm. the space of a few weeks and then continued messing about but this one I remember feeling less 
less kind of hyped up for it in that respect. So I had I had one very extensive playthrough over the course of probably two months after it came out. And then I put it aside and I thought, well, I have to go back to it at some point. The DLC came out and there's still more things to do. And there's two more endings that I haven't seen and various other bits and pieces. But it's only been in the last, mm, I think, three weeks that I've gone back to it yep. and done a couple more runs, including all the DLC to just have everything fully prepared. But it's it's a bit strange that it felt like the first one that I wasn't pushed to just go, 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 get it knocked mm. out. Uh, yeah, yeah, kind of uh, similar to mine, which we'll get to in a second. But first, uh, Jacob, how about yourself? Uh, yeah, I'm a I'm a Soulsborn vet. I've played them pretty much, I think, in order, uh, like starting with demons all the way through. Um, I similarly wasn't wasn't really feeling the hype on Dark Souls three until and this is kind of a a weird thing, but but fitting for me. Um, they they released the main menu like soundtrack the main menu theme and i listened to that and was just like whoo i'm back in like that's <laughs> that's the souls that i like um and so i picked it up fairly fairly close to release and and played through it probably two or three times then and then when the dlc came out i went back and and played through it again and then just recently i've gone through again so like in the time since it's come out, I feel like every six months or so, I've just picked up Dark Souls three and been like, "All right, I'm I'm gonna put another another forty hours into this." Um, and and yeah, so so it was not Dark Souls two was the one that was probably feeling the most excitement for mm-hmm. overall. Um, but but I I did did pick this up, play it, experienced it, you know, with the community fairly <laughs> fairly uh, contemporaneously. Excellent. Um, so yeah, I, I guess nothing too dissimilar in my backstory. I played them all through in order as well. Um, and like several of you guys kind of voraciously um, went through certainly Dark Souls, Dark Souls 2, Bloodborne. It was a case of, I mean, for Dark Souls 2 as an example, I completed the PlayStation 3 version, Platinum Trophy on that one, in time for the PC release to come out, which was a staggered release, picked that up and went straight through that and got all achievements on that as well, uh, which, as always with these games, takes multiple playthroughs. Um, um, with Bloodborne, yeah, I went straight through Platinum and then picked up Scholar of the First Sin and uh, went straight through that to, to Platinum as well. So it it, it is just a case of I, I had, even with uh, Dark Souls 2 at the time of playing it, I wasn't as enamored with even as i am now uh but certainly compared to the the previous game uh dark souls and uh bloodborne like josh i absolutely adored and very much appreciated that whilst dark souls was technically a spiritual successor to demon souls rather than the way that it was something brand new with bloodborne it, it was kind of a well we can't do a demon souls so let's do a dark souls um i've i've definitely appreciated more the changes between different series rather than uh between different sequels in in dark souls and two then two and three um but i i picked this up <laughs> i picked this up <laughs> the day after it released in japan um i quickly realized that not only could i get hold of the game early but also if i didn't 
I was going to be spoiled on what happened in this game and I just didn't want to do that. So I started playing that and then within a couple of days, maybe three, four days after that, I I started to realise and hear some rumours that uh, so because this Xbox One version that was released or available if you switched your account to Hong Kong um, was different to the version that was released in Japan on PlayStation 4. Um, and people started to realise quite quickly that it did seem a bit easier um, and that maybe there was a patch coming out. And it was supposed to be a day one patch, but they ended up rolling it out earlier, I seem to remember. Um, and so I'd almost slowed my progress to a crawl waiting for that patch to come out. And as soon as it did, I just restarted the game. Um, but I I did a, a quick check. So I started playing on the 25th of March, which is way before the game even came out. I completed my first playthrough, although it was kind of 1.5 given I'd restarted, on the 17th of uh, April, so five days after it actually came out here. And I'd got 100% of the trophies, so I'd played through three times essentially um by the 29th of april so i mean i just went for everything in this game you know in in sort of uh, quick succession and then i stopped playing it i i really didn't feel the need to pick this up even as dlcs were coming out i sort of i'd already got uh uh i'd already paid for the dlcs and i installed them and i remember i sort of thought oh well i've got a character that's in the ng plus but i can go in and give it a try and i i kind of walked into the um ashes of ariandel dlc and quickly ran out of steam on it and i wasn't quite sure why but over the you know over the, the intervening six months between the game coming out and the dlc coming out i had kind of cooled on it a little bit i have to say um so that's kind of where i went into my preparation for this recording and we'll obviously hear over the next hour and a half or so how I ended up feeling about it now. Uh, but yeah, so that's where we're at with the series. I've got a note here to say spoiler warning. I've already done that. Uh, we'll start in, I suppose, kind of the least spoilerific area with some of the technical stuff. Uh, start off with audio, and I'm going to open us up with a piece of feedback from the community. com forward slash forum. We have uh, forum threads on there for all of our upcoming uh, announced uh, recordings for all the games we're covering so you can go on there and leave feedback for any of those games and uh, Senor B123 the game was beautiful and the soundtrack was amazing part of my pre-order included the soundtrack and I actually listened to it from time to time which was a first for me as a fan of the series I was absolutely absolutely satisfied with the game I still go back and just wander around this beautifully crafted game and it's something I imagine I will go back to time and time again so, sound design and music. Josh, it seems like silly not to pass over to you in terms of talking about sound design and music. I think in terms of, we'll, we'll get onto the visuals mm. later on, but um, I think the aesthetic values in Dark Souls 3 are really strong and probably um, a, an area of the game that I feel most fondly about um jacob i'm sure you're going to talk about it in more detail but the the main menu music is great as he as he's already alluded to um i think there are certain boss themes in the game that are really strong as well um and i think the sound design is some of the strongest it's been um you know i'm including bloodborne you know demon souls dark souls um every from game i think dark souls 3 has some really strong um atmospheric sound design um 
I'm thinking in in particular of um, Irafil. Um, yeah. Uh, I just the the atmosphere and and also um, uh, the Lothric, uh the Lofric uh, city, the walls of Lofric as well. Just like the feeling that you're um, in the midst of this kind of burning city, yeah, yeah. and and everything is just kicking off. Um, the sound of the dragons as well. I I, I remember in particular the first uh, dragon you encounter that burst of flame. Uh, it's just terrifying. It really this this Dark Souls entry i think really emphasizes the fear factor of the enemies through sound um and i mean that's always been an element of all of these games but i think um uh from learn to thing or two from bloodborne and um some of the the positives of of that experience have kind of um bled into dark souls 3 the these these enemies sound horrific yeah. um and 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 really memorable so yeah i i i really love the way dark souls 3 sounds um along along with uh the the atmospheric sounds uh we should call out the the voice work in this game is phenomenal like off of the charts on on virtually every character you know even though most most of the lines are kind of delivered by like a a stationary character just just talking at you the the kind of emotion and weird detachment that is kind of like typical for souls games and whatever is just every character boss or npc or whatever is just spot on okay so josh mentioned the aesthetic and the visuals jacob would you like to read our next piece of forum feedback pretty short yeah, so so Loke from the forum says, I replayed this seven times in a row when it came out. Enough said. Also, first time I emerged from the catacombs into the Boreal Valley, just wow. And that wow has ten O's, so I tried to do it justice. <laughs> you did it excellently, thank you. Uh, yeah, my first sort of take on the visuals when I think of this game is that moment, uh, walking out yeah. from the catacombs, which you've spent, probably a reasonable amount of time in at this this point certainly on the first playthrough into the boreal valley was just uh stunning i it's it's interesting that because um i my my memory of uh twitter at the time is loads of people posting screens I certainly did, yeah. of uh, that that moment when they enter you know they enter and and see that that vista it's just everyone had to do it because it's just i think you know it's universally one of the one of the you know, most breathtaking moments in yeah. the game just seeing yeah. that and and the snow falling from the sky and all of that it's just so so gorgeous oh, and it's it's really this game's i mean it is almost literally this game's an orlando moment because you're oh, yeah. kind of yeah. looking at an orlando but but you know everyone everyone has that moment in dark souls 1 where the gargoyles pull you over the wall and and this was that but you are fully controlling it and so you kind yeah. of in a cutscene, you expect like oh, something exciting that's going to happen but here you just kind of walk through a door and suddenly it's like right there yeah yeah, it's very striking. I think um, another area of visuals, because I, I feel like, um, you know, uh, color and graphics and stuff is is, is uh, parts of 
what makes a game look good that gets well covered by lots of podcasts mm. and I always get annoyed when animation gets skipped over the way the way characters move the way enemies move um and I think Dark Souls 3 has some really strong animation oh, it's unbelievable um, it's so yeah. good <laughs> the dancer's animation is so surreal and it's just it it's still readable like you can read her attacks yeah. but like there's this this feeling of um of unnatural alien movement yeah. Yeah, it's almost me- mesmerizing or so, hypnotic in a certain yeah, way yeah it's it's so effective and and that that's probably the most notable example mm. but the game's filled with great anime yeah. like the abyss watchers like what watching them fight each other um and like the aggression and desperation with, with which they kill each other is great um the lofric the lofric princes um yes. just yeah. him like uh you know slouched on the floor with his with his legs behind him like desperately fra- you know uh, flailing his sword at you one that um, i really love is um High Lord Wolnir, the big the big skeleton, yeah. because the kind of lore of his is like he has these two big gold bracelets on, and then the only thing that are like stopping him from being dragged into the abyss, which is you know an, an abyss. Um, and so you break those bracelets, and instead of the kind of standard Dark Souls, just like fade into nothingness, he is he is horrifyingly like pulled backwards into nothingness and it like just talking about it kind of gives me chills because it's like he's a big skeleton but he is terrified of what's behind him and like you are kind of secondary to just like and he doesn't he doesn't speak at all you just get all of that from how he's animated Uh, i don't know if this is actually true but it feels like from as a progression from through the games this uh, the bosses and the enemies here there are more of them that have, you know, specific grab attacks that they do on you with very specific animations. And there are more that have that stagger parry uh, repost um, yeah. animation that then leaves them sort of flailing, like you're talking about the the dog thing. When you do the head stab on it and it goes flying backwards, that's not something that you'd see very often. But there's a number of yeah. enemies in Dark Souls 3 that do that. I love the, um, the demon princes in the... Uh, in the second DLC in the Ring City had a very similar animation where you stabbed their yeah. head and they sort of went flying backwards like a you know like a bat that's been yeah. kicked. And well, it's it is it's so... almost exactly the the bloodborne like visceral attack. You know, that's it they really took is. that they took that almost precisely from it and you do it on these kind of big beast monsters where you just you just kind of stick your hand right in their head and yeah. then and then kick them backwards. So I mean, it, it's so with a weapon, it's almost the same. If you have a, a fist weapon or a bare fist to do it, it's exactly the same. I've I saw a shot today of someone doing it with a bare hand, and you, with Bloodborne, they enlarged the hand and made it look more beast-like as you came out, and then it sort of shrank back to normal size. Um, and it, it's exactly the same animation, which speaks to this being almost entirely the same engine, which means that you get stuff like the emotes with messages. Um, there, there's stuff that, I mean, just bleeds straight over the character creator. When you go into it, feels almost as much like the Bloodborne character creator as it does a Dark Souls character creator in terms of the style of character you can actually make. So yeah, there's a lot there going on that has to do with the the 
using the same engine or the same modified engine as they had for for Bloodborne, which is an in-house engine. Um, one one visual thing that I I have less positive to, things to say sure. about is yeah. sometimes I feel like I feel like this game doesn't look as good as like the sum of its parts. Sometimes you know mm-hmm. it's like like the the art is is so like the architecture of these places and the kind of details put into everything and i think it might come down to the lighting um because yeah. because a lot of times areas just look kind of flat you know even if yeah. you're if you're deep underground there's still a lot of ambient light everywhere and and when when you're in a city and it's night it feels essentially the same as like a city when it's day um and I'm I'm thinking back to that that original Dark Souls two demo that yeah, then sure. the game did not have because it couldn't yeah. run that lighting. Yeah. And I I wish they had attempted something like that with this because there's yeah. not even you know this game doesn't even have like a Tomb of the Giants level like dark place. It's really quite consistent uh, across yeah. the whole yeah. the whole thing, and I don't I don't think it works in its favor. I I agree with you. Um, I I think it's less to do with the lighting for me, and more that um, there are lots of great individual moments, that, and we've already talked about them. That I think, wow, I can point at and look, go, wow, that looks amazing. But um, I don't think Dark Souls Three has like a cohesive aesthetic identity in the same way that Bloodborne does in the same way that even Dark Souls 2 does, uh, the original Dark Souls and Demon Souls does. I think it feels very cobbled together, like there are bits of it that feel like Bloodborne, there are bits of it that feel like Dark Souls 2, and then there are bits of it that feel like Dark Souls 1. Mm. It doesn't have, for me at least, an identity of its own visually. Mm. It has lots of great parts, but it doesn't hang together. And weirdly that you could that could be my review for the entire game but yeah, yeah i just i i feel like it it doesn't have so i i can't point to anything in this game and go that is a dark souls free moment yeah. i'm always referencing other games in the series um i think i could but and we'll come back to this later i think it's in the dlc specifically the ring city in terms of talking okay. about the way this game looks, the Ring City, when you actually get to the Ring City itself, I think that area looks unlike anything I've seen in in the series. So um, we're going to get into the gameplay and we're going to go quickfire through three pieces of forum feedback that lead us into that, I think. John, would you like to get us started? Uh, Senor B123 on the forum says... I never beat the original Dark Souls. It was too hard and I was discouraged. However, having spent 250 plus hours on Dark Souls 2, I was very excited for Dark Souls 3. I had pre-ordered the game, picked it up the day of release and was not disappointed. Dark Souls 1 felt merciless to me and Dark Souls 2 felt like it was on easy mode. Dark Souls 3 felt like the perfect mix of the two. I loved fast travelling to locations, yet still having to find shortcuts throughout the game. The controls were outstanding, responsive and tight. I felt like there was no delay between my button presses and the actions on screen. Going back to DS2 after DS3 felt like my character was slogging through mud. Alex79UK says, as a huge fan of the previous Souls games, why it took me quite so long to get to this one, I don't know. 
but it was worth the wait. Almost a greatest hit of Dark Souls, and seemingly having taken at least some inspiration from Bloodborne, I love the game from start to finish. Easily the most forgiving of the series, a lot of the bosses were beaten solo first time, but the challenge was there towards its final third. It looked stunning, some brilliant level and enemy design, and I liked the way it slightly overlapped with the first game. Another genuine classic from From Software, and I'm on board for whatever they do in the future. They've not let me down yet. Thank you very much. And the third piece I will read myself from uh, Nupperaptor, who says, The Souls games plus Bloodborne offer a gaming experience that no one other than From have really been able to replicate. The first time I played through Dark Souls in 2011-2012, I was stunned and desperate to find a similar game to give me that same fix. It seemed such a simple formula. Surely there were other games that offered a similar experience. I wasn't alone. There were numerous discussions and articles on looking for a game like Dark Souls, try these. None of the suggestions came close. I eventually had to buy a PS3 to get my fix from Demon Souls, and it was the same fix. And now we have Dark Souls 2 and 3 as well. For me, the differences in the overall experience of playing all these games is small. The overall core gameplay and storytelling experience is the same in Demon Souls and Dark Souls 1, 2, and 3, and I love it. We should probably mention, in case anyone's not sure, this uh, the Souls series is a third-person action RPG uh, known... <laughs> I, I, an hour in. <laughs> an hour in. That's that's what we're in for, folks. Um, known for difficulty. I, I rankle at saying that because I, I maintain that these games, what I like about them and what I think is important about them to me, but in general is not the difficulty. Uh, certainly Leon and McKeel would tell us that there are far more difficult games out there. Um, and there are. I, I can't deny that, that I played far more, the games that I found far more difficult than this way back when. And something like Guitar Hero I find more difficult <laughs> than these games, I have to say. So uh, yes, it's a personal thing, but it's not something that I flock to. And I certainly have never found Dark Souls sequels to be as challenging as Dark Souls was, and I can never tell if that's because I'm just used to the style of play and pick it up easily now, or whether the games have become easier in any way. Uh, I guess, quickly, how did we feel about the difficulty? I think it also probably bears uh, saying that in one of our forum uh, comments above, uh, the controls and responsiveness were mentioned as pretty positive. Um, and so I guess we could kind of roll that into difficulty, how we felt about the way the game played. I feel like the the end of Dark Souls 3 is is kind of easier. You get, I mean, you just get so many Estus in this game. Like, by, by the end, you're kind of rolling, like, 15 or so, 15, and so yeah. it didn't, it didn't necessitate the kind of, like, perfect precision of not getting hit because you could just heal yeah. through everything. But for the most part, I think this is pretty pretty equal with the other games. I mean, mm -hmm. I think it's true that just whichever one of the series you play first is going to be the hardest. Mm. And and so for me, Demon Souls is the most challenging, and then mm. and then Bloodborne because Bloodborne was so different. But but one, two, and three feel fairly equivalent. You know, there are parts that I breezed through and parts that I found really tough on all of the games. Um, this one felt the most fair. I didn't feel like there were any kind of uh, cheap yeah. 
bosses or whatever in the same way that like bed of chaos or whatever is sure um but yeah it 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 felt it felt relatively standard with the rest of the series for me okay yeah yeah i think in terms of just the the combat um i think it's probably the strongest of the dark souls games just in terms of feel um minute you know moment to moment how it feels to swing a sword how it feels to kind of do that little dance with enemies. Um, I think um, I, I'm a. I really like the fighting the Lothric knights um, in that area. Um, uh, the Outrider knights as well mm-hmm. are a lot of fun. They're a stiffer challenge, but um, they're just really, really fun to fight. But I feel like, and and. Maybe I'm skipping ahead, but no, I feel like it's the uh, level design that's kind of inconsistent. Um, so, like, you, there are some really great, like, standout levels for me. So, um, the Cathedral of the Deep, um, I think, is honestly one of my favorite levels <laughs> in the Soul series. I think it's got some good looping level design yeah. um some really fun enemies all the way through it um but then you have the smoldering lake is yeah. I, I just think you know to each their own but i think is awful yeah. um i think it's it's not particularly well designed like i i it's just a big open area with some crabs in it for no and, reason uh, for no a, a reason giant, giant but yeah crabs that don't really make sense the only reason i could say that they made sense was there's a ballista there firing giant arrows and where we've seen crabs previously there's been giant arrows but that's real tenuous like really (laughs) tenuous and and um yeah and then and then like that area connects up to um uh to to these series of corridors that feels like it's just cut and paste from and, the chalice dungeons. Yeah, and, it feels like it's almost yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah mm. And I, uh, so yeah, the level design for me is just like mm. all over the place. There's some honestly really, really strong, really standout levels, mm. and then there's the smoldering lake. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, I like I wasn't a big fan of um the uh dragon keep either um it's yeah, dragon yeah keep, it's yeah, all over yeah. the place for me i think it's so yeah i i tend to agree there were there were several times not just with bonfires but with shortcuts where i thought why is this here this seems really yeah. odd even in lothric castle as much as i like some of the stuff in there in the grand archives and stuff there's it feels like yeah there's dead ends and there's shortcuts where there needn't be that aren't really use use any use to me the way i was playing it at least um and and yeah and yet some real highs like cathedral of the deep i agree um yeah absolutely so yeah it it does feel a little bit more uneven in the way that again i i've complained about dark souls 2 similarly there's some really good areas in that or really i shouldn't say good areas areas that, that really spoke to me in terms of level design and then others where i felt like it felt like it was in a different game whereas dark souls for as uneven as some of the stuff in the back half of that game can be it, it felt like a coherent world when i think back to the overall world in a way that for some reason uh this this didn't quite manage um yeah one thing that this game didn't do that i feel like could have been a design revision somewhere although i'm not sure how they would have done this but 
like every Dark Souls game, if I am going through an area and I and I die, I'm just gonna sprint back through. Like there were so many places in this game where I just felt no motivation at all to fight the enemies and and felt I mean, especially in in um Boreal Valley, as as pretty as it is, mm. all of the like dudes in there are so tough and and offered yeah. kind of so so high of a risk of death with so little reward that I would just sprint past them every time. Yeah. And yeah. and it seems weird that this, you know, this game which is built around kind of skillful combat and whatever the dominant strategy for me is just running past and then they can't yeah. catch up with me. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what I did. Uh that's a point in the difficulty that uh, I found in some ways made this feel more so than the previous games mm -hmm. is that I want to try and clear an area out. You know, yeah. when we're traveling through a section, I want to kill all the enemies and have a look in all the little, you know, little nooks and crannies and corners and try and find all of the items that are there. And there were a lot of points in this where, although it's actually not particularly far between the two bonfires, you can run it in, you know, 90 seconds if you just sprint past everything. There are very, very large numbers of enemies, and in a lot of places, uh, lots of enemies all together that have yeah. uh, different attacks that they do. And I think specifically there was a point in the Ring City where uh, I think there were about four different enemy types, all of which were very tough enemies, did a lot of damage, and didn't. Uh, I think one of them, if you spent too long nearby, you'd start to get. Um, it cursed one of them if you stopped they'd cast a spell underneath you that would damage you you had two different types of knights that had very very tough attacks uh one of them would throw spear um like throwing knives at you as well yeah and it just got to the point where i had this one little section trying to go from this one bonfire round down a couple of staircases and down these streets that i must have spent a couple of hours trying to kill everything and just clear it out so that i could check all the little items because you'd have bodies sort of hanging off the edge of a building and you'd know, well, there'll be a ladder somewhere that I can go up and get round to that. But I can't really afford to hang around and look because there's, you know, three of these huge enemies chasing after me. And that got a little bit um, overwhelming in places, uh, even though I, I spec my character in these games to be uh, sort of very fast and easy to run in and out of situations and very good for either attacking from a distance with pyromancies or get up close and do like a few swipes and then back out. I very much played this like a, like a Bloodborne, but more so than I think in any of the other games, I found myself getting overwhelmed by yeah. just the sheer yeah. numbers of enemies. There's been tweaks to weight burden and actions you can do while running and the way that you can kind of jump and jump attack that are all kind of focused on trying to make movement quicker so that you can play a little bit more like Bloodborne, even though you don't have the health regen um, that that game had to encourage sort of uh, wading into uh, combat, but there's still some kind of carryover there with the engine, as we were saying as well. Jacob, shall we just interlude here with a, a forum post? Sure. So Pale Avenger says, The first two Dark Souls games quickly became some of my all-time favorites when they provided an outlet during graduate school. So when my then-girlfriend, now-wife, surprised me with an Xbox One for my birthday, Dark Souls 3 was the first game I bought. 
At its best, the game is absolutely beautiful, and I don't think I'll ever get over seeing the burning eclipse in a blood-red sky over Lothar Castle's soaring architecture. I love the breadth of weapons and armors available to find, and I also found the enemies to be some of the most interesting in the series. Fighting everything from disgusting grub monsters to cruel jailers to beast-like frozen knights was exhilarating. And the music, when it plays, makes you feel like a proper legend. The story has some incredible discrete elements, but I don't think it's as cohesive as the first Dark Souls. There are also some gameplay issues that frustrated me throughout my adventures. Enemies don't seem to fight as fair as they did in prior entries, and FromSoft's changes to the poise system make heavy armor a less viable toolset. Still, it's more Dark Souls looking and sounding better than ever. That's hard to beat. Invasions are back. Um, kind of missed them in Bloodborne a little bit, but equally well, I was not averse to if there was a section of the game I just wanted to kind of focus on and get through to turning uh, offline mode on. Uh, only a couple of times, but I definitely did do it uh, for DLC specifically, because often a lot of people flock to DLC when that comes out. Um, summoning and invading, there was a max six players, and it depended what covenant you were in as to how many summons versus invaders you could have. Um, the the password matchmaking from Dark Souls 2 again comes in, and they do a, a cool thing where they scale phantoms to the host level. Um, and also limit the weapons that can be kind of dropped for another player to pick up to the highest level that they already have to avoid someone just being able to give a you know plus 10 weapon to someone who's barely started the game. Um, so yeah, and the same with invasions. Uh, that was limited by character level, but also by weapon level to avoid the kind of situation in Dark Souls 1 where you'd have the undead burg just filled with people in full Dark Wraith uh, kit uh, <laughs> with plus 10 or I guess plus 15 weapons in that game uh, you know even though they were level 5 or whatever you know they, they would uh, be in there just causing havoc so uh, I think that makes more sense than the the soul level system they had in Dark Souls 2 which kind of didn't work all that well I don't feel uh, this makes more sense to limit by equipment and also by character level Um and any thoughts on the online in in this game? We've got a forum post, but uh, if any of you guys have any any thoughts on it first, I think I it's it's not new. Like the the things that the online is doing in this game have been in Dark Souls and Two and Bloodborne, but the feeling of cooperating with someone in this game yeah. is so good. Like it just it I I have such a good time whether I have summoned someone. Yeah you know or or i have been summoned to someone else's world you know just the kind of like headspace you're in of like it is my job to protect this person you know like yeah. i'll really yeah. i'll really kind of like throw myself into battle to to get aggression off them and often people will do the same and because of the fact that you can't communicate i never find out that anyone's secretly racist or or whatever in the <laughs> yeah. way that you do yeah. with virtually every other online game um and so i i just love being able to to kind of help other people out in that way um sure. in, in a different way i have never won a pvp battle <laughs> you think sure, yeah. almost ever um and so whenever someone invades me i just know i'm going to die but that's kind of what i've accepted these games are at this point i have that exact same problem because my character is so based around like fast dex moves sure, and yeah. pyromancies which generally 
rely on the enemy to stand still and stand in this fireball <laughs> event's presence and does extra damage. Doesn't do a damn thing yeah. against an invader. And almost every time an invader comes in, they're wearing heavy armor and have a sword that's like as long as their character. So I know that I'm just going to die in one yeah. hit. Yeah. Um, but it didn't stop me having a lot of fun with the covenants and stuff in here. Like for the most part, they're pretty similar to how they were in Dark Souls 2. You've got your standard like cooperation covenant and your invasion covenant and your um, couple that help other um, invaders or help, you know, come in to stop invaders. Yeah. Sort yeah. of automatically summoned. I think you've got two covenants here that are effectively defending an area very similar to the um, the Bell Covenant and the... Um, the ones who set up all the traps in Dark Souls 2. Yeah. But the one that I enjoyed the most was the new one is the the Mound Makers Covenant mm-hmm. with the, the Mad Phantoms. So you can now put down a, a summon sign, which is a purple sign, and the person who gets summoned in through that can either... is uh, able to attack the enemies and will aggro the enemies, so they can cooperate with you, but they can also do damage to you as the host so it's a gamble when you um you know find a, a mound maker's purple sign as to whether or not you're going to end up summoning in someone who's going to help you or someone who's going to hinder you and i mean i didn't do a huge amount of summoning uh, as a mound maker for that purpose what i like to do was find one of the couple of areas in the game where people would set up fight clubs the one in particular is just after the Pontiff Sullivan boss fight. Yeah. There's a little semicircular area overlooking, I think you can see Arch Dragon Peak from there, with this really fantastic looking skybox. And when I was first playing the game at launch, uh, there were tons of people setting up PvP covenants there because and fight clubs because you could have a couple of invaders come in. You had the Aldrich Faithfuls who were getting automatically summoned, who could also come in and fight. So I'd set up my little mound makers sign and almost, you know, almost inevitably get summoned in pretty quickly because, you know, people were just trying to get eight people into the same game so they could all sit yeah. around watching each other fight. And I would very much embody that spirit of being a mad phantom uh, instead of actually doing any fighting or any PvP. I'd basically just mess around and, and screw with people. Mm. So I used the chameleon spell to turn myself into a statue and like follow people in the statue mode and then stop still when they turned around and looked. I'd do things like stand behind the guy who was hosting the fight club and like gesture like mad or sit down on the floor or spin around in circles or get weapons out and look like I was going to backstab him. And it just felt like, for me, the uh, perfect epitome of what a mad phantom is, is someone who you can't trust and you don't know what they're going to do and you hope that you're going to invite this person in to you know get along with your little fight club where everyone sits there and waits for their turn to fight but actually what's going to happen is someone's going to come in and summon that pyromancy that makes all the huge pillars of flame come out of the ground (laughs) and do random damage to everybody and I, i had a huge amount of fun doing that on that note john sorry apologies to keep you talking but would you care to read the next piece of forum uh, feedback, which I think well, it, it seems rather, it seems rather fitting, doesn't it? It does, yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, T Bone two five four from the forum says, one day while trying to gather some vertebra shackles for the Moundmaker's Covenant, I placed my summon sign down in Irithil, the small ledge outside the door after the Pontiff Sullivan boss fight. Uh, I swear I didn't read this before I went <laughs> on my long long tirade about this exact same thing. Um, I was summoned quickly and ran back to find the person who summoned me. And as I approached, I was met by a red phantom. 
I readied my sword and shield and began advancing forwards for the fight. To my confusion, the red phantom waved, turned and ran back to the ledge. As I sprinted up after him, I saw the person who summoned me standing at the ledge with his back towards both of us. But as the red phantom approached my summoner, again to my further confusion, instead of attacking him, he ran up next to him and sat on the ledge with the toaster moat. The person who summoned me turned to me, waved and then turned back towards the edge of the ledge. As I continued forward, I could see that there were two more phantoms fighting in a circular area just beneath the ledge. I walked up next to the other two, and we all sat there and watched these two phantoms fight. While the defeated phantom faded from view, the victor took a swig from his Estus flask and looked up at us. The red phantom that greeted me when I was first summoned stood up and jumped down from the ledge. They both bowed, bowed and began their duel. I realised I had come across a Dark Souls fight club. It was a pretty incredible thing to see. People would get summoned, wait their turn and then fight, with the winner staying until he was defeated. It was like the UFC of Dark Souls and it really showcased the diversity of Dark Souls 3's weapons, magic and armour systems. I spent countless hours trying, trying out strange new builds to see how I would stack up in the fight club. While I had plenty of fun hopping in the era, into the Irithyll fight clubs, it had the unfortunate side effect of revealing the shortcomings of its combat system mainly that it was too fast. Some of the problems seemed related to the scalings of the armour and heavy weapons. This really translated over into the multiplayer where dodge rolling is king. There were a few other things that bothered me about this entry. I missed the weapon degradation system from Dark Souls 2 and I was a bit upset that they removed the Dark Moon invasions. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, as, as mentioned, there were plenty of covenants for all sorts of different uh, styles of PvP, but Dark Moon invasions were, I think, something very specific to uh, Dark Souls 1, really, and, and kind of were missed. So the other thing this game added via um, DLC is something that's been in all three Dark Souls games uh, in the first one, again, added via DLC. I have never played in a PvP arena in these games. It's just <laughs> not my cup of tea. If I'm going to do any PvP, I figure it may as well be in the game, and I'm not really up for invading, so I just kind of uh, either get summoned in myself or um, summon people in myself, and that's kind of, as Jacob was saying, how I prefer to uh, play this game. And then when I'm invaded, I kind of cross my fingers and toes and hope for the best, but rarely come out on top just because i don't build for pvp but uh yeah hollow arena was added and you need to uh, either by beating a boss or as a drop from uh, an npc in each of the two dlcs you can get champion's bones which you then use at the firelink uh, shrine bonfire to access um the pvp area so uh, Nice in a way you can just sit down at Firelink Shrine and, and find a match that's kind of handy rather than having to go um, go out to different areas in, in the previous games specific to, uh, to, to specific areas. Uh, nice that you've got, you know, um, vendors and, and blacksmiths on hand to be able to quickly level up a weapon to try something else, I suppose. So it's high time we move on to... We've kind of talked a little bit about some of this stuff, but I think we need to give this uh, game's world and setting and a bit of story uh, some space to shine. So um, this game takes place in the kingdom of Lothric, which is not 
Drang Lake, nor is it Lordran. It's somewhere different, but the cycle of fire is continuing. This is another era. Uh, you're strongly, strongly hinted that there have been many cycles have taken place, not just the cycle we see in Dark Souls and the cycle we see in Dark Souls 2, but there have been many, many more. Um, the setup for the game is that there are supposed to be um, four Lords of Cinder and Prince Lothric sat on thrones in Firelink Shrine, uh, relinking the flame once again. The idea is it's now taking more, um, so more precious souls to to link the flame and continue the Age of Fire. Um, unfortunately, when we, the player, are risen from ash um, as uh, an unkindled who is a uh, an undead who failed to link the fire previously, so we are playing as a character who has already, fittingly, as most players of the games have already attempted to link the fire, we are playing as a character who failed to link the fire. Uh, and we walk into Firelink Shrine, and there are four out of five thrones are empty. Three Lords of Cinder have abandoned their promise to come back and link the flame, uh, and Prince Lothric, who is to be the new Lord of Cinder, has also shrugged uh, his duty. Um, so that's where we start, and much like previous games, you are going out to collect and return the souls of these Lords of Cinder um, to Firelink Shrine in order to, again, start the cycle anew. Um, what that means, that we are an, uh, a sort of reincarnated um, unkindled, is that there are an awful lot of characters who are reincarnated along with us. So our firekeeper is a reincarnated firekeeper who is able to bring Ash uh, back to life, essentially, uh, unkindled, and is able to put um, Andre, our blacksmith, in Firelink Shrine. Um, the uh, Shrine Handmaid is one of the three former firekeepers from the beginning of Dark Souls 2. Um, so you get this sense that as opposed to Dark Souls 2 where there's echoes of previous cycles uh, and they may be quite vague and distant in this case there are some very clear links back to previous games particularly Dark Souls 1 and they are kind of battering on the door at sometimes rather than being distant echoes that kind of sets up the, the game, I suppose. There are a bunch of different areas. I don't think we need to go through each one of them. But in terms of the kind of setup and the the um, scenario that we're presented with, do any of you guys have thoughts on how you felt about this when you first encountered Firelink and, and what you were going to be doing? For me, Dark Souls 3 is a game of two halves when it comes to storytelling and setting sure. and all of that mm. stuff so whenever dark souls 3 is focused on new elements and new threads and new ideas i'm really on board mm. so um I, I won't name every example no. but like the 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 one that stands out to me is um aldrich sure the uh the consumer of gods um i just love that little kind of because you follow him through like what feels like the first half of the game yeah, yeah. and his kind of path of consumption <laughs> um and um going through the cathedral of the deep and, and i feel like a lot of the areas that are kind of 
either indirectly or directly associated with him are, are my favorite yeah. areas in the game. Um, so yeah, when when Dark Souls Three is focused on new ideas and new concepts, I think it's it's at its best. Um, whenever it is referencing Dark Souls One. Uh, it, it drives me up the wall. Mm. Um, whether it be through locations, um, I just mentioned Aldrich being my favorite, but he actually the final fight with him is in uh, on Orlando, which at first I feel like uh, it feels like a great bit of fan service, but actually the more I think about it, the more I hate that moment yeah. um, because it just feels so cheap. Like, oh, remember this location. <laughs> Oh, I bet you love that location, uh, and it, it kind of feels unnecessary. Um, also, whenever the Black Knights or the White Knights from Dark Souls One show up, it's like, why are you guys here? Um, yeah. I'm sure there's a lore explanation, but it's not good enough as far as I'm concerned. Um, uh, just uh, like um, Andre the Blacksmith, yeah. like he just seems to be there because he was in Dark Souls One. Um and the Onion Knight again, just like there because oh, remember that guy yeah, called Siegward. But Dark if Souls someone told 1. me that was Siegmeier, it would, yeah, it's it's literally yeah. no difference. And and then the most damning of all, and we and and me and Jacob discussed this in the um the Sound of Play mm. that uh, may or may not have come out uh, by the time you're listening to this. I'm pretty sure it will have done. Um, uh, the the use of um the Gwyn Lord of Cinder theme yeah. in the final boss mm. fight, it's just completely unearned for me, and yeah. um completely misunderstands why that piece of music is in- effective in the context of Dark Souls One, and the and as far as I can tell, the only reason why it's used at the end of this game is to go. Uh, remember that bit yeah. Yeah, remember and I I just all of the cloying fan service throughout this game it drives me up the wall mm. and I really really wish Dark Souls 3 would focus in on the stuff that's new and different and, and, and you know for all of Dark Souls 2's flaws I never felt like except for maybe the Ornstein fight uh, I never felt like it was pandering to fan service. Yeah, I felt like it was actually trying to do some something I, new with everything it it, yeah. it, it experimented yeah. with. I feel very very similar to uh, to the way that Josh has just described yeah. everything. I think the little character stories and things that you get in here, the new things, and how it all ties together, and how they they do link the overarching story of this game together especially when you add the two DLC packs onto the end of it. I like how that goes, and I think that's done in a way that is maybe not on par with how it works in, in the first game, but is is a satisfying overall narrative to the game. But it, I completely agree that the all of the callbacks to Dark Souls 1 specifically are just... They, they could have done something different, and it would have felt better. Like I prefer Dark Souls 2's way of saying here's a world that is thousands of years uh, removed and, you know, across the sea. And there may be, people may have heard some of the old tales. There may be very, very shallow links to things that you saw previously. 
but generally it's a different story and it yeah. did drive me nuts to then say dark souls 3 is the same situation where it is again millennia later but and i think this was very succinctly put by uh, by gary and cole in one of their bonfire side chat episodes Dark Souls 3 feels like it's like a generation after the first game, yeah. as opposed to hundreds of thousands of years, possibly. Yeah. Although there are, again, there are story links that the cycle is ending and, you know, time is getting messed up and things are kind of collapsing back in on themselves. And you see that very much in the, the Ring City DLC. But uh, it, it didn't quite do it for me. Anyway, uh, I want to hear Jacob's counter yeah, for well, this. Yeah, get, get ready. Vicious Kanan Rents argument. I disagree. <laughs> I, I really like the callbacks. <laughs> um, I, okay, so, so the way that I consume the story in these games is I play through it and mm -hmm. I get a very general sense of tone and then I watch videos on it and then i thought oh okay that's that's the actual text of the story but i pick up almost nothing going through the games because i am just not that observant and i don't read every item description or whatever but i do remember moments and so for me coming back into an orlando was was like a a jaw-dropping moment for me because that was such an impactful part of my my dark souls one experience and to be put back there and kind of be forced to reckon with all of my old memories of Anne Orlando and contrast it with these new ones it felt incredible and and Josh even though you said you know you you liked Aldrich Aldrich is in the process of eating Gwendolyn and that yeah. that boss is a callback to Gwendolyn in Dark Souls 1 mutated and made kind of horrible and weird by Aldrich's influence and that's what I feel like all of the callbacks in this game are they're not they're not just a a direct this was here before and it's here now except for maybe maybe the blacksmith but like you know for most of them it is see how time has horribly warped these things that you remember and you there they are here and they are familiar but everything is collapsing in on itself and so even though you have fought this thing before it's here and it's different and it's kind of mutated in some way and as someone who just picks up theme and tone through these stories i thought it was fantastic so so i i'm in the minority on this podcast but i really i really loved the callbacks that's interesting i guess i don't fall as negative possibly as you do on it josh only because as i was playing the game for the first time when i got to the end of sigma uh, sigwards oh there we go that's a good example secrets quest um and I managed to get to the end of that quest on my first playthrough without knowing how to do it don't ask me how i just Feels like some of these side quests needs you to jump through hoops seven times over and backwards to get them to to work. But anyway, it did. I definitely had a punch punch the air moment as as I realized Sigurd was entering the boss arena next to me as I went to fight Yorm. But then afterwards, on reflection, nothing about that character needed him to be wearing that armor. Needed him to have a name that was like Siegmeier. It would still have been an echo, a cycle, something reminiscent of something that happened in the past. If he was from somewhere entirely different that should no longer exist, by the way, the places we, that these people come from should no longer exist because, as we see, 
later on in the game with the Soul of Cinder, as we see uh, in the DLC, they are collapsing onto one another, which in theory could mean they still exist, but we know logically through progression of games that they shouldn't. It's been thousands of years. Like In Dark Souls 2, we're told that it's not just that Lordran was the place before this one, but it has changed names several times. There have been literally millennia between each of these games, and yet it never felt like it to me. Um, and I... I like in Dark Souls 2 that the impact of the souls of the beings in the first game echoed through, but the specific details didn't necessarily. It was all stuff that was lost to time that we could piece together, but that people who were living in this world couldn't because they didn't have the information. And it just seems very strange, despite the fact that it's part of fiction that this should be the case, that all the stuff that we see, predominantly the stuff that we see, is all stuff that we've seen in Dark Souls 1 and 2. What about the other eras or the other cycles in between, where none of them significant, important, or had their own history that survived? It's only the stuff that we know that survived, which... Well, but that's not, that's not quite fair, because everything new that we see could be recycled from some previous... Yeah. You know, like yeah. like we've never seen Osiris before, but he could be a callback to like another another era that we didn't. Yeah. Sorry. That's, yeah, no, no, on. that's that, that's entirely fair enough. But uh, just in in the months after playing, I ended up thinking through and thinking how much of it felt to me a little too surface level in a way that I I again really liked Aldrich. The notion that we're seeing time and space collapse on itself and so aldrich is consuming souls it didn't have to be gwendolyn himself or herself their self i should say that was actually uh consumed it had to be the soul of gwendolyn that was and we know that souls echo through time in this world so that works in a way that some of the stuff didn't necessarily and i, I did a mental backflip and thought well andre was reincarnated alongside i'm i'm playing a character that's just been brought back to life undead or a thing now bringing an undead back to life or uh, bringing a, a you know a former being back to life as a thing so maybe the firekeeper chose a um chose a blacksmith from my era to bring back in order to it's possible it's all feasible but it didn't stop me thinking that moment where i thought oh wow it's firelink shrine oh wow it's andre i, I felt like i was being manipulated a little bit in a way that I I wasn't happy with after the fact. Um, that's not to say it's good or bad. It's just kind of that's how I end up feeling about it. Um, it's just different, yeah, isn't it? I mean, it's, yeah. it's it's Dark Souls Two tells a very similar story that is you know overrun with the uh, the the chaos coming forwards again, and um, you know the the dark and the abyss creeping up and the corruption of all of that but it tells it with different characters and a different story and a different yeah, world that yeah. you grow to love them in your same way. And there's a lot of people who I'm sure listening to this will be thinking about, uh, you know, NPCs like Lucatiel in Dark Souls 2 who yeah. are as, you know, as resonant as anything in the rest of the series. And yeah. I feel yeah. like they could have done a complete set of everything completely new and still been you know, as fantastical as, as doing yeah. the callbacks. Time is running away with us. Uh, there are loads of side quests, and I think the only thing I really want to say about side quests in this game are some of them, as I've mentioned, 
are so difficult. I don't know how you would do them without looking up a wiki or a guide. The Lord of Hollows one in in particular feels like it's it's built on a, a house of cards. You do one thing wrong and that thing's tumbling down and you have to go through a new playthrough of the game to, to get it to happen. Um, it just feels sometimes really opaque in a in a good way, I think. But it does mean that a lot of people won't have seen a lot of these quests through to completion. In some ways, it kind of makes the, the difficulty of the game change as well, because I found um, there are quest lines that, uh, you know, cut each other off and things that you can do that cut them off. So I had the big example for me is um, the Cirrus quest line, which runs through basically the entire game. She starts off very early on and it finishes after you've beaten the Twin Princes. But if you go anywhere near the um, the Invasion Covenant and speak to them and join them, she'll just say, um, we have different values, I'm gone. But if you lose her quest line, you also then lose one of the only NPC summons that you can have for a couple of the very end-game boss fights. So losing her incredibly early by effectively exploring and talking to people can make bosses at the very end of the game more difficult. This is It's one of my least favorite things about the games, to be honest. I just... Mm -hmm. I kind of don't understand what value it adds to have such difficulty trying to follow these characters through mm. the story. It just it just seems designed for wikis for me and yeah. and especially on repeat playthroughs, I wish that I could kind of explore the different characters' quest lines, but they all feel so fragile and and so kind of easy to mess up that I just abandon them almost immediately and that's a bummer because i really like the characters and the voice acting is amazing but but there's just like it's just not worth it and i i really i i hope that this is something that from kind of decides to change in their upcoming games because mm -hmm. it's it's just really not an enjoyable part of the experience for me sure i i, I think you are far from alone in that fact i imagine a mm -hmm. lot of people just ended up giving up on some of those I I I've I've always liked the kind of story archaeology mm. of souls. Um I think um kind of tying all of all of the item descriptions and stuff so so much of narrative kind of makes the the story a puzzle and um and makes it part of the game and I love that and I get that some people don't have the time to read every item description and just end up basically going to Varty Vidya and 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 listening mm. to his or watching his videos but uh for me personally that kind of piecing together of the plot has always been a favorite aspect yeah. of, of the series for me. Yeah, I would I would differentiate between the item descriptions and the character plot lines because you yeah. know, piecing together a puzzle using all the pieces is is really fun and rewarding, but but kind of following these characters feels like you're not even given the pieces unless you you do a backflip yes. in the Konami code like in a specific area of the game. <laughs> and so you know, it's like I want to be able to do that archaeology, but I feel like I can't even get all of the parts that I need to put it together unless I do these really obscure things, and that's kind of where my frustration comes in. Yeah, Agreed. 
Okay, after side quests, we're going to talk a, a fraction of time, probably because we, we've already mentioned a little bit, but we don't have a grand, uh, great amount of time, uh, about bosses. Uh, Josh, we have a forum comment. Uh, would you care to intro us to bosses, please? Yes, um, so this comment is from the Baboon Baron, um, and they say, By the time Dark Souls 3 rolled around, some of us were well-versed in what we would be getting ourselves into. There's an irony that in the Dark Souls universe, one of birth, decay, and rebirth was being aped and copied quite, quite liberally by the time uh, of the third iteration with each copy slightly hollower than the last. The story is opaque, the combat violent, the settings uh, luscious, and the characters vague, and the achievements unattainable. Dark Souls 3 seems somehow brighter than the previous entries, with the horizons that stretch out for miles, but it retains its gothic and cruel setting of the previous entries. Under torture, I couldn't tell you the plot, but just like the previous Souls games, I felt wrapped in a whole of a world by its drip-fed details. It's quicker than its predecessors. Playing the remastered version of Dark Souls 1 so soon after the third made the evolution of the series that much clearer. However, whilst 1 and 3 work well together and the callbacks are an excellent piece of fan service, I felt the third game lacked some of the imagination that the first had. The bosses were less, oh god, what is that, and more, oh cool, you hit that bit, sweet. Not to take away from what it achieves, it's still a wonderfully imaginative game. Um, I think bosses are where this game has some of its... Uh... Is most imaginative, I would say. Uh, multi-phase boss fights are yes. now uh, the norm, um, to the point of, in the DLC, one boss that is three phases that are entirely separate. Uh, hit, uh, what do you call it? Health bars. Um, so not just you get to fifty percent and the boss changes, but you beat the boss and then it gets back up again, <laughs> and uh, that can be incredibly demoralizing. But equally well, it then adds to the sense of achievement afterwards. Um, I particularly like the two Outrider Knight boss fights, Vort and the Dancer, uh, and the fact that you can see the five Outrider Knights that you fight throughout the game as spirits in Irithyll, and then when you realise that uh, the self-proclaimed pontiff of Irithyll, uh, Sullivan, has essentially sent these Outriders out with items and rings that he knows will turn them into horrendous beasts. Um you understand the suffering and the sadness of their story, particularly the dancer, but Vort as well. And yeah, I just think there's some really strong boss fights in this. I think it's a real shame that the game ends on the Soul of Cinder, which should be, like, technically is a manifestation of all of the souls of the Lords of Cinder that have ever existed. And that's why Gwyn shines through at one point in moveset and, and theme, etc. But it feels, in I guess a way that Nishandra kind of did on First Blush in Dark Souls 2, feels like we're fighting something that we never knew existed until we walked into that arena. There's no weight behind that, whereas Gwyn was such a, um, a, a shadow over the game that you walk into that arena and see what Gwyn is. It's, uh, it sticks with me, uh, and Soul of Cinder just didn't. So highs and lows there. Uh, how about you guys? Any boss fights that particularly struck the right or wrong chords? I think that 
almost every single boss in this game has something that makes it like interesting yeah I, I feel like kind of the perspective they took on designing them was like what is cool and different that we can add to this and sometimes that results in kind of gimmick bosses but sure. but what it means for me is i look forward to fighting almost every single one of them and i don't think that's true for any of these other games um yeah. you know like like they're all just they're fun and i would just lay my summon sign down outside and fight you know pontiff sullivan or or champion gundir or whatever just over and over again um I love the Deacons of the Deep. It's not particularly challenging, but the feeling of just like carving your way through this whole crowd of zombies is is a really kind of new feeling in this series and one that I found really fun. Um, I think I think the quality overall is just an incredibly high bar for for almost all of these guys. I I want to point out that there are I believe with the six bosses from the DLCs. There are 25, I think, bosses throughout the entire game. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think there are two that are particularly the same thing. Every single one has its own unique um, aspect to it, as opposed to, say, Dark Souls 2, which I think with all the DLC bosses has yeah, something definitely. in the range of 40 plus. And there are definitely bosses in that game that are like, oh, sure. this almost feels like a reskin of well, this other one. Well, there's one's just a guy in armor. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. 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 Mm. yeah. Mm. So I, mean, I will absolutely commend it for that, having the, uh, yeah. the much yeah. uh, much wider range of uh, unique boss fights. Yeah, I, I think I largely agree. Um, I think there's nothing in here that is... Um, as bad as the uh bed of chaos yeah, yeah, sure. for example like i think um at like at minimum um the, the these boss fights are you know fun like th there's not anything that i can point there's not a single boss fight that i can point to as just being completely dull and, or boring or just you know way too hard that i just had no fun with it at all um, I think what's missing for me is a boss fight that I can point to and go, that's one of the most, you know, memorable boss fights I've ever had in the Soul series. Like, I feel like every, um, maybe not, uh, oh no, actually, I'm going to include Dark Souls 2 here. Um, I feel like every From Software previous to this had the one fight where I'm like, okay, this is just special. Mm. So for the first one, that's Artorius yeah. of the yeah. Abyss. Just, I think, on every level, uh, from storytelling to actual gameplay, he is a huge success. Um, Bloodborne, uh, Lady Maria, sure. uh, basically the same thing. Just gameplay and storytelling working together. Amazing fight. Um, uh, and in uh, Dark Souls 2... Uh, the um, the, you know the the some of the DLC sure. bosses. Yeah. Um, uh, I I really like the the boss fights in the the Crown of the Iron King. Um, they're great. Um, and then um, maybe less gameplay focused, but definitely story uh, wise. Um, laid uh, Maiden Astraea um in Demon yeah. Souls, I just think is a huge success. Um, 
I just can't. I think that like all of these are like really just really solid, really good, but there's nothing that quite reaches those lofty mm. heights for me. They're just they're all they're all just solid, um, and and none of them are special in the way that uh, some of the ones I mentioned. I, I will say you didn't you didn't play the DLC, Josh, and there are no, I um, didn't. That that's there fair. are two yeah. both both. Um, Slave Knight Gale at the end of um, Ringed City and to Ariandel in Ashes of Ariandel, I found both uh, just genuinely incredible. So those those would be the two that I would point to from this game. But funnily enough, those two bosses draw very heavily from Lady Maria and Artorius, respectively. They sure do, but you know what? They're they're fun to fight, <laughs> and and I think the setting is is suitably kind of epic and the build-up to both of them matches the build-up of some of our kind of favorite fights from the other series you know putting yeah. you in a really yeah. unique arena or facing you with a, a a new challenge that you haven't fought before um i i wonder josh i'm gonna play devil's advocate a little here is it possible and i, I know the answer to this before asking but i'm gonna ask anyway is it possible that because I think it's fair to say that you're saying that the overall level, the sort of overall quality of the bosses is maybe slightly higher in this game. Is it possible that therefore no individual fight stands out simply because the bar is a little bit higher? Or is that too simplistic and unfair a reading? No, I I, I disagree. I, I I think I think it I think it's easy for me to when when I'm when I'm evaluating yeah. these boss fights, I'm not just thinking about mechanics i'm thinking about like every aspect sure, whether it be like animation aesthetics uh the, their impact within the greater narrative sure. and and all of that stuff and i think there are there are plenty of fights in this game that i can point to where mechanically just really mm. on point so uh dragon slayer armor yeah uh, yeah, just really cool. that fight for me, just mechanically, is almost perfect. But I, ask me how like Dragon Slayer's armor impacts there that that its impact on the law. Ask me that, and I wouldn't be able to I, tell ask you, you what a butterfly um, that's controlling the, the armor is, because in the DLC it's yeah, reversed. Yeah, it doesn't just, make much sense in terms of the lore. So yeah, I just yeah, and and I think that's what it is for me is that. When I think of Artorius, Artorius is firing on all sure. cylinders. Yeah. Every value I can judge Artorius against, it's a 10 out of 10 for me. Whereas um, with these boss fights, they may be a 10 in in one area, but maybe not in others. It's just the standard, as you said, the standard overall, I think, is higher than... Um, than um, most entries mm. in this series, I, the, there is no clear nadir in the same way there there is in mm. Dark Souls One. As much as I prefer this game over over this one, um, uh, there definitely is in Dark Souls Two. There are dark, there are boss fights in Dark Souls Two that you just entirely forgettable. You could just remove them from the game, and that they yeah. wouldn't affect um, your like you could just remove them and you wouldn't be missing yeah. anything they're just there's they have no impact on the story or real or memorable in any gameplay way and so for that i think dark souls 3 should be commended like the standard overall is higher um but just it's missing it's missing the and as jacob said 
I haven't played the DLC. Maybe those boss fights are that for me. Um, But just based on the base game, Mm. um, none of them are special in the way that Artorias is. I think something that ties into both of the points about Artorias and Maria and Gale and um, Frida and Ariandel is that they are also the storylines in the game that are the strongest. Like the Artorias and Sif storyline is one of the the absolute high points of the entire series, the way that you play that and, you know, do your timey-wimey nonsense and Mm. that all ties together. And the same with the storyline of Sister Maria and the Astral Clock Tower, how that ties into the game is one of those moments when you you play it and you realise the story implications and I don't think any of the bosses in the main game in Dark Souls 3 have that same... I, I, I don't even know how to describe it. I especially don't know how to describe it without swearing about <laughs> it. Um, but they don't have that kind of jaw-dropping moment of realisation of yeah. just what it is that's happened and what you've done getting involved in this. But maybe those DLC boss fights come closer than anything in the main game yeah. do. And I did have that with Aldrich as well. I will say the the moment that I saw Aldrich and kind of realized what I was looking at was was quite a a moment for me and kind of a story culmination and gameplay wise, but I realized that, you know, that 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 is not everyone's experience. Sure. Yeah, yeah, I I tend to agree there's there's fights like uh Champion Gundir. I think that could have been very impactful. But unfortunately, you've already fought that character previously, and what exactly he represents isn't necessarily made all that clear, or you know, it's not as impactful to the story. Um, I really like Nameless King, but that's for spectacle, and actually, I'm not sure I like the way that that cheapens theories about Solaire from the first game. Um, so yeah, it's kind of it drives me yeah, up the wall, yeah. James. Again, it's just <laughs> like you didn't need to say anything. <laughs> You didn't need to, and you did, and it made it. It could. It, I just. I preferred it as yeah, a question. Yeah, just leave yeah. it a question. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. So yeah. I. I think that's fair to say. On the DLC, I think we probably need to be fairly quick about this, but we can't not talk about the DLC. And I. I guess I'll put it as simply as I can. This DLC fundamentally changes the way I see Dark Souls 3 in terms of what's going on in the world and in terms of uh, better understanding what the title of the series is about. That shouldn't be in DLC. For as much as I love the Artorias of the Abyss uh, and the whole Ulysseal section of the DLC, it didn't fun. It, it added to, but never changed my understanding of the main story. It was a really cool side story that increased my overall enjoyment, but didn't change my understanding of the game. The Ring City, in particular, adds stuff about what's going on in the series, what the Dark Soul is, what the Pygmy was, what. Whether the gods actually, by branding the humans, were trying to save them. That's a question that I now have from the DLC that I never had from the series. That's crazy that that was... That's just, it blows my mind that that was left to DLC. When Soul of Cinder it, was our final boss. It feels like that is a cycle. Like It, it has 
law implications from the very very beginning of the world that we have known it through the games and then it it comes full circle and caps off the ending in the same way and i don't entirely know how to think about it yeah i f- i feel like it's probably overall it's a net positive and i feel like the ending that they've now given it with the the two dlcs and gail's storyline throughout mm-hmm. them is more satisfying by far than finishing it off with the you know the unexpected boss fight against the soul of cinder but i don't know in a grand grander sense of the entire narrative across the entire series how i feel about it um i will say with my with my baby understanding of the lore of these games the the moment in in the ringed city where you've you're you're reaching the very end and you walk up to this tower and there's a woman holding an egg which don't ask me but you you touch <laughs> the egg and it crumbles and suddenly the camera zooms out and you are at you are at the end of all things like there is nothing but ash left in the world and the only thing the only thing there other than you is gale who has somehow killed like every other being on earth or whatever you know their version of earth and and you fight him and it what it feels like to me is the first moment the first time i dropped into the abyss in dark souls to fight the four kings because my thought is i had no idea this game could do this like it is just so wholly unexpected that it is it is really a transcendent moment for me and the the gale fight is cool and i like his animations but really it is that that moment of being plunged into something so so wild and so outside what the series has done before that that sticks with me you know yeah. more than more than anything in the base game which is certainly a criticism of the base game but leaves me overall feeling pretty high on the title it's it's a weird one cuz I I didn't feel all that inspired as I mentioned I was in a bit of a lull after playing this game and mulling over more stuff that I didn't like than I did and going back to the DLC in preparation for this I thought I was playing New Game Plus turns out I was playing New Game Plus Plus that level of challenge I haven't felt overwhelmed up to this point um I've got a sort of I, I don't know a third of the way maybe through the Ring City and all of Ashes of Ariand I've done um so i've faced one boss and got into kind of the the uh second big area of the ring city um and it just asks so many questions that i want to say to josh for example you kind of have to go and play this but i understand that a lot of people's reactions going to be no i'm kind of done with dark souls as a series and dark souls 3 and so to that end i just lament that this was left for a dlc because kind of in a way that with Dark Souls 2, Scholar of the First Sin and the DLCs helped round that that out as a package. I feel like that does this for this game, but but it's tough without a Scholar of the First Sin equivalent. And I know there was the Fire Fades edition, but it's tough to justify sending people back to potentially have to play through the whole game again if, if they're in Josh's position of not having a save file. It's really tough. To, to say because the dlc is all end game stuff as well you really shouldn't be touching it until you're most of the way through the main uh the main game and um 
yeah, it's just a really, really weird decision. I'm conflicted, as you can tell. Anyway, uh, we are going to move on to our last couple of uh, pieces of forum feedback. I'm going to kick us off with uh, HMS Polio, strange name, uh, from our forum. HMS Polio says, DS3 is a wonderful game in so many ways, with the art design and animation being a particular highlight, but whilst I'd never charge from with laziness, it definitely felt like they'd reached a terminus with the constraints of the Dark Souls world. A lot of the areas felt like retreads of past decisions, the poison area, the castle, the catacombs, but without the strange ways in which Dark Souls tried to shake those areas up, particularly in the latter half. I think it's just over-familiarity, but Dark Souls 3 never felt as weird as its predecessors. The NPCs referenced, or were outright copies of previous NPCs, without the melancholy of those characters, it also felt, to me, that it pandered to the worst parts of what people like about these games. Namely, Dark Souls is all about difficulty. It seemed to rely on more enemies doing more hits for more damage, to the detriment of trying to do anything more interesting. Dark Souls 3, for better and worse, is a game made for fans of the series, and showed that From needed to put the series to bed to move onwards and upwards. Uh, Jacob? Okay, T-Bone254 from the forum says... Even with its faults, Dark Souls 3 has a lot of things to love. I really enjoyed my time with it and think it is a wonderful send-off for the series. It's a gorgeous game loaded with atmosphere and filled to the brim with fan service. I am sad to see the series come to an end, but I can definitely see that it was time for it to end. And after having gone over Dark Souls 3 again and seeing how much the Souls formula has been repeated, I am even more hyped for whatever changes from software has in store with Sekiro Shadows Die Twice. Fantastic. Thank you very much. And quick fire through another one. John. Uh, Mark Hoog from the forum says, I finally gave the first Dark Souls a spin in the winter of 2016 and was immediately hooked. After having completed the second game a few months later, my girlfriend gifted me this, the third. A seal of approval of sorts. It meant it was okay for me to lose myself in these games and swear at them and punch my desk. The next few weeks, I devoured Dark Souls 3 twice in a row, loving every minute of it. Well, the swamp bit, not so much, but okay. My fondest memory involves an entire day spent exploring Archdragon Peak bit by bit, knowing the much maligned Nameless King was somewhere waiting for me, and when I finally made it to the boss's misty arena, trembling and heart-pounding, I defeated him at my third attempt. I wouldn't touch Dark Souls 3 again until December of that year, which is when my relationship ended. While mourning someone who hadn't died, I spent the remaining weeks of the year with the two DLCs and another playthrough, grinding and levelling up for the sheer heck of it. Looking back, I treated Dark Souls 3 as both a coping mechanism and some sort of mindfulness exercise, while at the same time acknowledging it as being the last remaining thread of my relationship. It had been her gift after all. Which is why, a few depressing months later, I decided to 100% the game and be done with it, rinsing it if you will. This meant replaying half the game for certain spells and gestures, as well as the endless farming of ultra-rare covenant items. I must have spent dozens of hours just fighting the same three or four enemies, but finally when the last achievement popped up, exactly one year after finishing my first playthrough of Dark Souls 3, I felt I had slain the one demon that wasn't in the game. I had overcome my Dark Knight of the Soul ironically through getting an achievement called the dark soul fantastic thank you and mm. to round us out with forum feedback josh yes yeah, so nup 
Raptor says, um, if From released Dark Souls 4 tomorrow, featuring the same mechanics and another menagerie of scuttling abominations and corrupted knights to pit myself against, I would buy it in a heartbeat. I would probably spend another 100 hours of my life swigging Estus, listening to people finishing every sentence with a sinister chuckle and failing to get NPCs through their quest lines. But it would be the same experience I have had before. I like Dark Souls 3 a lot, but my enjoyment of it and my affection for it is as part of the Souls franchise as a whole rather than as an individual entry. If From give me more of the same, then I am delighted, but I am also excited to see how they mix things up in the future. And speaking of the future, um, around about the time of, well, before the release of this game and then around about the time of the release of the DLCs, there was uh, lots of talk about whether there would be more Dark Souls initially uh from and uh, and Miyazaki, the the director and the um the lead of that studio now, uh, had said that no, this definitely isn't the end for for Dark Souls. Uh, this is kind of a turning point. Uh, and then when the DLC was coming out, uh, it was kind of said that um Miyazaki himself had said it was on hold for now, but that he he would be interested to see someone else kind of take the series on. Um. It's a weird one because although obviously uh, from software, um, it's their series. Bandai Namco are intrinsically linked to that, and and so it wouldn't necessarily be something that From could choose to take on their own. It may be that uh, depending upon how the deal works, that Bandai Namco could do a Dark Souls four without From Software, which seems unthinkable. But stranger things have happened. Uh, equally well, Bloodborne sequel rumors have kind of persisted in no kind of definable way with uh, without any kind of direct comments or uh, sort of information I could find. Uh, but what we do know about the legacy of this game, uh, in some ways, I suppose, is that uh, less than a week from today, the day of recording, but it will already be out by the time you are listening to this, whether you're listening on Patreon or um, via the, the sort of show release uh, wide a week later, uh, Sekiro Shadows Die Twice will be out, and that is something different. It's more linear, it's more uh, focused story, it's single player only, uh, and it's uh, published, at least in the West, by Activision. So it's going to be something different, but still in the vein, it seems. I've, I've been fairly quiet on it, uh, to be honest. I've tried to steer clear of it, but I'll be picking it up uh, on Friday. I know a bit like Dark Souls 3, people are kind of mixed in terms of how enthusiastic they still are for uh, From Software Souls-esque games. But um, how about you guys? Uh, looking forward to Sekiro? Oh yeah, <laughs> big time. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, as I said earlier, um, I'm a big fan of when From do something completely yeah. different and don't do a sequel and, and just kind of take mechanics and... and uh, uh, treat this as almost like an anthology series and so yeah Sukiro uh, absolutely really excited for it uh, yeah probably same um, I've avoided it as much as yeah. possible and not not watched any of the content that's now seemingly been up on YouTube for weeks from Varty and other yeah other there's Souls, been a lot of kind of previous stuff, people yeah. Mm. 
Um, but I haven't actually ordered it, so I'm not getting it on Friday, but I imagine I'll be picking it up very, very soon afterwards, as long as it doesn't get absolutely slated in those first couple of days. And it's fair to say that as you are listening to this, if it's anywhere close to release, I will be playing Sekiro. <laughs> I, I do have a copy ordered. I have some time off on Friday, so hopefully it gets to me and I'll be playing it. Uh, can't help myself. Um, okay, we have three word reviews on the day of recording. We put out from the Kinrin's Twitter account at Kane and Rince, we put a request for reviews of the game in three words, and you have furnished us with plenty. Uh, Jacob, would you like to kick us off, please? Okay, the Baboon Baron says, Bell still rings. Pale Avenger says, Ash seeketh ocelot. <laughs> Bearfish Pie says, it's soul over. <laughs> Shadow with a tie says, coolest looking eclipse. Andrew Elmore says, don't give up. Uh, Mimsy Boojum gives me conniptions. Uh, Hail the Gilbo says farewell, Ashen One. Matt King says greatest hits collection. Mike Petit89 says princes murdered repeatedly. Gameolyticos, only embers remain. Matt Cole Wilson, underwhelming final boss. Jamero One says, well-earned swan song. Nick Chuha says, where's Ludlith's legs? Good question. <laughs> oh, poor Ludlith. Um, Richard Murphy says, death's ringing crescendo. Yeah, console smashed says, rinsed and repeated. Uh, Ellis Net YT says, fan-pleasing finale. Great Irish Elk says, learn from failure. Mark Hoogland, who we heard from earlier says another toxic swamp yeah i'll second that <laughs> um my pet roxy says melancholic ending sputter benji wild says need some innovation corvus vice says awful ginormous hitboxes c corrigan says bums on seats and paddy stardust says the fire fails um and then fittingly we have uh, Chococo Macho with I Want More and Hands in the Jam with No More, please. So, from software, take from that what you will. <laughs> <laughs> A clear direction. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. What the fans want. We're always very clear with uh, with what we're after. Um, all right, our summaries are all that remains. Uh, Josh, I figured you might be the most negative here. You could maybe kick us off. If if there's one word that comes to mind when thinking about Dark Souls 3 it's it's tired like I just think I can't help but feel like From Software whether whether this is true or not I this is purely me playing the game and 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 getting this feeling from playing it is that From Software are tired with Dark Souls, they're they they've run out of steam with it, and as much as I feel like a lot of what makes From Software great is still present in Dark Souls Three, I, I just can't help but feel like they'd rather be making something new, maybe a game called Sekiro. Um, that they'd they'd rather be working with new ideas and new concepts and new. Theme. So Dark Souls 3 ends up kind of falling in a camp of games 
um, who, you know, the, the company includes uh, Devil May Cry 4, God of War 3, um, uh, Uncharted 3, which are all games that have great moments that I really, really love, but as a whole, just do not hang together. And I can't love them as much as, as, as what came before um or in some cases what came after um i ca- i think dark souls 3 is absolutely worth playing through if you haven't played it it's got just tons of really fun moments um um but when i when i compare it to the rest of the series it it does feel like I it just it feels like I've experienced its best moments elsewhere. Um, the combat is very similar to other entries in the series, and it's slicker and and maybe more polished in some areas. But um, ultimately, it's not doing anything new. Um, so yeah, uh, Dark Souls Three. It's it's great in some places, but tired in others. Fair enough. Uh, John, how did you feel about the game? Um, I think I think it's fair to say that my feelings surrounding Dark Souls 3 are uh, fairly mixed, but for the most part, kind of leaning more towards the positive end of the spectrum than the negative. Um, it's, it's a tough thing to judge a game that is it's the third in a series, and although I haven't played Demon Souls, um, with Bloodborne in there as well, it's it's the fourth in this line of fairly similar games that I have not, uh, you know, not for any complaint at all, have spent the majority of the last six years uh, only at you know if I'm not at actively playing one of them, you know, it's at arm's length away. I've never been never been far off playing one of these games and I've always had a very good time um doing so I mean I've racked up hundreds and hundreds of hours across the across the franchise and I've always enjoyed the um the mechanics I've always enjoyed the combat uh for the vast majority of it the the boss fights have always been been very um very satisfying and I although I was you know, alluding earlier to the fact that maybe the way that they do the do the law through the item descriptions and through uh, having to work things out and you know, make a lot of leaps might not be the uh, the best way to tell a story for some people. Uh, it is something that I have also enjoyed very much having, you know, this sort of internet of souls celebrities doing that work and in, in you know, in extremely fine ways. Um, and Dark Souls 3 has kind of been the culmination of that, that, I finished playing this again for the third time a few days ago and I feel like I'm ready to put it down and I may very well return to other games in the series. I feel like I've got more time that I need to spend on Bloodborne, but I I feel like Dark Souls 3 has run its course for me and the way that Josh described being tired and a developer getting tired it has has kind of sums up a little bit about how i feel it's not that there's anything wrong with it it's just that i finally feel that i've had enough mm. uh yeah 
no, I, I think I think uh, I'm maybe not quite in that position because I certainly was there after I played this game. Um, I said before I soured on the game a little bit, especially in terms of um, what I feel it adds to the series lore and how it presents its world compared to Dark Souls 1's woven world and specifically Vendrick's tale from Dark Souls 2. Um, that over time I have grown to love more than I did at the time of, of playing it. And with this game, very quickly after playing it, I kind of, I felt done with with the series a little bit. And so coming back to it now, coming back to the DLC and, and preparing for this has helped me warm to the how I feel about the game overall has definitely warmed up is what I'm trying to say. Um, and I know that I've put Dark Souls sequels under a microscope because of my anticipation and because of how voraciously I've played them. You know, very short periods of time I've rinsed through everything the game has to to offer, more or less. Um, and I I do wonder whether that's fair, whether the games have suffered because of that when Dark Souls and Demon Souls had so much time to breathe because I played them over the course of months and learned about them over the course of months rather than this very uh, intense period. But Bloodborne was put under that same microscope and came out smelling largely of roses. Odd for a game like Bloodborne, but it did. Um, I I absolutely adore that game to the same degree as Dark Souls, I have to say. Um, and so I come to the conclusion that the failings I perceive in Dark Souls 3, specifically how it tells its lore um, primarily, and the kind of fan service elements, I have to accept that for me those are real. They're, they're not just uh, things I can put to one side um but the dlc opens up questions for me about the series lore and it means that dark souls 3 has added something to the series lore to the point where i'm still confused about what's going on in the fight between the age of fire and the age of man and uh mulling over character motivations and exactly what's going on i'm reinterpreting that stuff because of the dlc uh and that's kind of astounding to me um to the point where I, I wish those DLC areas had been in the game and uh, woven in in a way that maybe changed some of the stuff in the game that I didn't like so much. Uh, and that's kind of a criticism, but also a compliment because I'm still enjoying stuff about Dark Souls 3 uh, three years uh, now after release. And that's that's cool, but tinged with a, a little melancholy, as it should be, I suppose. To wrap us up, Jacob... I think I think after listening to this, it's no surprise that I'll be the most positive on this game. Um, to me, Dark Souls Three feels like a a celebration of the series, and and does that mean cheap fan service? Yes, it does. But but for me, it really just works, and it reminds me of all of the good times that I've had playing other the other games in the series. But importantly. If I feel like playing a Dark Souls game, I return to 3 more often than I do 2 or 1, which is, you know, in, in, <laughs> something that clearly not everyone here feels, but for me it is just so rock solid and the bosses are at the the series heights and that's including Bloodborne and Demon Souls and everything. I will never forget the first time that I was fighting the Abyss Watchers and I had saw one of them just tackle another one like right in front of me. It's it's given me those moments and we've kind of talked about if this game if this game hits the peaks of the other ones and has the kind of 
the the je ne sais quoi that makes a Dark Souls game more than just kind of a game with a dude and swords and spells. And and Dark Souls 3 hits that nail right on the head for me. Um if if I never played another Dark Souls game, I would be sad, but if I didn't play a Dark Souls game for 15 years and then they released a kind of new and rebooted one, I would be okay with that. I think Dark Souls 3 caps off the series in a way that I found very satisfying and and have no lingering regrets over. That wraps up all of our thoughts on this game. Uh, I need to say, obviously, thank you very much to Josh and John and Jacob, as well as all of our many correspondents that you've heard from today, and our editor, Jay, who is going to give me an earful. Um, Plus, of course, all of you for listening. Thank you very, very much. Um, If you've enjoyed the podcast, as mentioned previously, please subscribe, rate, review the podcast wherever you get your podcasts from or best of all head to our patreon patreon.com forward slash cane and rinse and uh, become a, a patreon member patreon supporter you will get every cane and rinse podcast one week earlier uh, usually extended this one certainly will be uh, beyond two hours as well as an exclusive monthly podcast with jay and leon talking about cane and rinse uh, behind the scenes stuff issues and stuff going on in cane and rinse towers Next time, it's issue 362, and huge controversies abound as machine games dare to suggest that Nazis are bad and that Billy has mates. We're talking Wolfenstein, the New Colossus.